Welcome back. As uh, we had a little mishap last week. No, actually it wasn't. It was just a negligence on my behalf. And uh, no, no, I just didn't get around. I didn't get around to preparing a share. Um, we're going to record on something different tonight because we can't find the recorder either. And um, we hope that it's going to be okay, and we hope we're going to be able to upload it onto the site. Miyatzah Hashem. This week, we're back on track with the Parshiyas. Welcome back. Hope your pace of vacation went well. We lane Pasha Shmini. We spoke before, many years ago, about Shmini Shmina. There are times where Shmini is read up to eight times, including the Shabbos afternoon and the Mondays and Thursdays when Pesach comes out in a certain kvius, it is read up to eight times. We also have tradition that during the week, during the weeks between Pesach and Shavuos, which are the weeks that we study the Gemara Saita, as it's brought down the Hayyim Yim, that since Saita has 49 blot, it coincides with the 49 days of Sfira Sa'imer. And therefore we learn daf layim every day, one daf in the Masechta of Saita. Those that can just read it in English, anyone can learn with Rashi and Tesis is preferable, of course. And also we have a slight, an excerpt of a Mishnah of the Pedic of Pirkei Oves. As it is known that from Pesach until Shavuos, the six Shabbosim, each Shabbos after Mincha, we read Pirkei Oves, chapter of our fathers, chapters of our fathers. Also, Minichabad, we read this throughout the entire summer up until Rosh Hashanah. It obviously does not divide up properly usually, and therefore ultimately the last two weeks usually you're saying two parakim each week. So we talk a little bit about the Mishnah Pirkeyavis, we talk about a little bit of Masech Seita, and of course a lot of bit on the Parsha, in Yoni the Yoma. 
This Shabbos is Shabbos Mevarchim Achedish Iyar. The Shabbos which we bless the month of Iyar, Mert Hashem. Hopefully, Mert Hashem, next week we will go again a group of women, with a group of women to the Ohel, Mert Hashem. What days are Ishchidish? Today's Ishchidish, what days? Chavgimel is today, Wednesday, so next, next Wednesday is Lamed. So here Tuesday evening, we'll be going to the Eil, Mietz Hashem. Haba aleinu l'teva yem shlishi shehuch babay kitev. For those of you that have been out of commission with us lately, we Baruch Hashem were merited to have a blessed, to be blessed on Yud Nisan with a granddaughter. Sarah Rivka, Baruch Hashem, another Sarah Rivka to the family, may there be many, and may they follow the example of which they named after my mother, blessed memory. Amen. It's interesting to note, going, we speak about going to the Ohel, there were two stories, I don't know if I told the first, I don't think I told the first one, I don't believe I told it, because it was on Pesach that I heard it, but we didn't have a shear since. Le- recently, a few months ago, there was a Pegisha, a convention, a Shabbos here with these college students. And the co- Shabbos with the college students, the students come from all walks of life. One was a young lady that was starting to become from... And she came to learn more. Unfortunately, her father has not had that attitude just yet. He was not over the moon, as we say, about his daughter becoming from. There's a program where Manus Friedman, a lecturer and a scholar, lives in Minnesota. Rabmanis has programs for women, seminars for a week, two weeks at a time. She very much wanted to go to one such seminar. <coughs> However, it was there was an expense to which her father was not ready to give towards. When she was here for Shabbos, the end of the Pegisha, the climax, is they went on Sunday to the Ohel. At the Ohel, she wrote a pan, and in which she put five requests. She requested five things from the Rebbe. The fifth bakasha, the fifth request, was her father have a change of heart, and allow her to go to the to Minnesota to have be by the seminar. On Monday, she called her father and said, "Dad, seminar starts on Tuesday. I want to ask you just please, maybe one more time, if I ask you, maybe maybe you'll find in your heart to allow me to go to the seminar." 
And he said, my dear child, I'll pay you for the seminar. I'll pay for your trip. No problem. You can go to the seminar. In America, we say you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. She immediately booked the ticket, got the money, and flew to Minnesota. When she returned from Minnesota, she was very excited. She came home, and she thanked her dad profusely. And she asked him, what happened? Why the change of heart? So I'll tell you the truth, Sunday night, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was visited by a very, very venerable, holy-looking man. Respectable-looking. And he told me that you came to him with five requests. And the fifth of which was you should be able to, should be allowed to go to Manus Friedman and you, I should pay for it. And he said, please, I'm asking you a personal favor. Send her. I couldn't refuse him, he, the, the father said. So I immediately, when you called, I immediately acquiesced and agreed. She says, Daddy, what did he look like? He said he was a nice old man with a white beard. And she took out a picture from her wallet of the Rebbe. She said, did he look like him? And she said, he says, that's him. That's the man. He came to me in my dream and asked me to let you go. This happened a few weeks ago. The story I heard from a rabbi here that was here from London. His name is Paris. Uh, Rabbi Paris from London, who heard it from one of my best friends, my ex-best friend actually, because he's not telling me the story, he's telling other people. So when I text him tomorrow, I will, God willing, remind him that he didn't tell me this story. And he heard the story from, direct, from the, the girl repeated the story to somebody, and he heard it from that person. Now a story is circulating, this week, the Breslov community, the Breslov Hasidim, don't have a Rebbe, but they have a guide. It's called the Maran, Marash, something like that. And this Rabbi Sheik was here in Munsi for Pesach, and he told his son. He would like to go to the Eihel and be there Matzah Shabbos at 1.35 in the morning. Needless to say, they were all very, very inquisitive. Why, why, why? And then finally, he had no choice but to tell them what happened. Last year, on this very evening, he said, he said, I suffered a major heart attack. And I needed open heart surgery. Throughout the surgery last year, the Lubavitcher Rebbe came to me and guided me, encouraged me, blessed me repeatedly, and told me, don't worry, you're going to be fine. 
Don't worry, you're going to come through. I'm davening for you. Throughout the procedure, throughout the surgery, the Rebbe was with me. This happened at 1.35 last year at this time, and this, this evening. And therefore I want to be by the oil to thank the Rebbe at 1.35, that same time that he was with me last year, I wanted to be with him this year. We have a very, very rich Pasha. And the Pasha boils down to the eighth day dedication of the tabernacle, the passing of the two sons of Aaron because they did not do exactly as they were told, the different animals that are kosher and not kosher, what makes them kosher and what makes them unkosher. The greatness of Aaron Akoyin at the passing of his two sons, Vayidom Aharon, Aaron remained quiet. He remained silent. To some of the animals and creatures, the Pasha gives different specifications and different reasoning as to why they cannot be used. It all boils down to the fact that we are Atta Vekhartanu Mikol Ho'amim. We are the chosen people, the chosen nation. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a holy Jew, Rabbi Yenis and Eibschitz. And Rabbi Yenis and Eibschitz was a very brilliant man, a very holy man. And well known, and because he was well known, his fame reached to the hierarchies, reached to the royal palace. And the king used to constantly get into conversation with him. And they would talk and they would discuss and he had a lot of eye-opening conversations with the king. One day the king asked him, what does it mean when you say you are the chosen people? Why is it the Almighty can actually claim such a nation that is so oppressed, so nothing compared to the other nations, so inferior, poverty-stricken, and yet you claim yourselves to be a chosen people. How awkward is that, he asked Rabbi Anderson. Rabbi Anderson knew he was now in a catch-22. No, that was not one of my rhymes. It just happened to finish the sentence that way. For those that get my rhyme texts on Friday or Thursday nights, that was not one of them. 
He knew now that it was trouble. No matter how he would answer, no matter how he would respond, he'd be wrong. And with Siyat the Shemaya, the Almighty gave him a thought. And he said to him, Your Majesty, I will answer your question on condition you promise me you will not, God forbid, harm the Jews. You will not do anything wrong to anybody for it. And the king agreed. And Yenison recommended the king obviously go incognito with him and to follow him where he's going to take him. It was in the middle of Pesach. And the king followed Yenison in normal street garb, nobody knowing who the royal man was. And they arrived into the shul. And they came into the shul. And it was about of time. Rabbi Yenison got up on the bima and said, After Mairiv, I want to say something. Word got out, Rabbi Yenison, Ipshis is going to say something in the shul. After Mairiv, and the shul was packed. Shul was full uh, to the brim and the king is sitting on the side watching this. After Meirev, Rabbi Yenison says, Meirev Rabbi Gentlemen, we all know there's a prohibition. It's prohibited to any Jew to have or sell silk. If a Jew gets caught with silk, it'll be confiscated, they'll be penalized financially, and it goes as far as being thrown into jail. Rabbi Sahi says, I want you all to go home and to bring me all the silk that you have. Now the Jews, in order to keep their head above water and not to die of hunger, everybody had a bolt or two of silk. And they sold it to the local tailors under the street, under the, under the table, as we say, to merchants that came through town. They all knew they could always pick up a piece of silk by the Jews, even though it was illegal. Then the whole shul emptied out And moments later, the entire shul returned, and under their coats, everyone had a bolt, a patch, a this, a that of silk. They were not allowed to own silk, but they all had some kind of silk. No. Then he said to everybody, go home quietly, take your silk home, and bring me all your chametz, One of the Jews stood up and said, Rebbe, Chometz? It's Pesach. 
Heaven forbid we should have any chomets in our house. And everybody had the same cry. We have no chomets. It's Pesach, Chatzvish Olam. No. Go home, Kindalach. Everybody marked, singled past by the Vienna's knife to tell him good to shake his hand. And whenever the last Jew left, it was only the king and Rabbi Yenison. And Rabbi Yenison told the king, Your Majesty, what's your rules, what's your laws as far as silk is concerned? <coughs> Excuse me. He said, You know very well what it is. Penalty of death, prison. No Jews allowed to own silk. Ha! But yet you see it, Your Majesty. Everybody had silk. They know that if they get caught, they're going to jail, they're going to get beaten, they're going to get this, they're going to get that, they're going to get penalties. Whatever's going to happen to them. But, and you know something? They know it's your decree. They know there are policemen looking out for it. They know there are judges that are going to catch them and, and judge them. All the things that they know about that's going to happen to them, God forbid, if they get caught with this with this silk, but they all have it. And they see physically the guy and the policeman and the judge in the streets. The Almighty God. Melech Malchem Lochem HaKadosh Baruch Nobody ever saw. Not one of these Jews ever saw the Almighty. But he has a law, a decree that you're not to have chametz on Pesach and they follow it to the T. You see, not one Jew has chametz. This is what makes them unique. This is what makes them the Atavakartanu Mikola Amin. This is what makes them different than any other nation. Now you know why they are called the chosen people. We have Khamit. He has just arrived, Khamitz, fresh Khamitz. Get the plastic away. This is the message of Pasha Shmini. That we are the chosen nation. We are different. Our dietary laws, we are different in the sanctuary that we have. Even now we are not in Yerushalayim. Even now we are not going to bring our carbon Pesach. But we will bring our Da'imer. Fellow gentlemen, ladies, remember, no, 
when you're given instructions to do something or not to do something, you have to remember them. I had a root canal today, and I forgot I'm not allowed to chew on my right side. Ouch. No, there is no humor in that. Okay. The Pasha begins, it was the eighth day. Rashi tells us, On that day, they took ten crowns. It's lying down, it's lying down on top of the shelf. Teisvis writes in Masech the Shabbos. Thank you. Hodlei Choshev, Rishen Hakamis Hamishkan. Why now is it coming and telling us about the eighth day and not the first day? The reason it didn't count the, enumerate the first day. Mishum Damrina be Medrash. The Medrash tells us. All seven days of the Miluyim, of the days of preparing <coughs> the tabernacle, Moshe put up the Mishkan and took it apart. Every day. Inam, he says, another explanation. That the elevation of the of the erection of the Mishkan came about. And therefore he says now, on that day when the Mishkan was erected, they took another ten crowns. We find, therefore, according to the first explanation of Thesis, the eighth day was not the first day the Mishkan was set up, because for seven days Moshe put up the Mishkan, and seven days he took it apart. According to the second explanation, Yemashmini, it was the first day that the Mishkan actually stood. So we have to understand what's the argument here. Why is it with two explanations? One opinion is that it was set up on this day. That's the second opinion. And the first opinion is because each day it was already set up, and now on the eighth day it stood finally. Perhaps we could say, in Pasha's Pekude it says, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Moshe. The Almighty says to Moshe, V'yayim ha-chedesh ha-rishen V'echad ha-chedesh tokim mishkan On the month On the first month, the first day, you should stand, you should erect the Mishkan. 
in that case, if Moshe had the commandment to do it on the first day, why seven days before was he practicing? The Ramban, not the Rambam, the Ramban, answers this question. Because the Almighty commanded him as such. You should set, you should erect this Mishkan like the Pasuk said, like I told you before in the mountain. So therefore, immediately after the completion, this was the Chedesh Arishin. On that day, the first day of the month of Nisan, it should stand erect. Until that day, take it apart every day. But on that day, it should stand erect. Rashi? No. He explains different. When he, the Almighty told Moshe, Tokim as Mishkan, it was Tokim Lamda. Stand it up so it should be standing. And therefore, the first time that he did it was on Rishchidish Nisan. The fact that he put it up the seven days before, it was not in the category of erecting the Mishkan. It was only a preparation. Where's Marachat I don't know. Yankee Naftali? According to this, we understand the argument of Rashi and Tesis. Uh, two explanations of Tesis. The first one is like the Ramban, which says that all seven days was putting up the Mishkan. And the eighth day was special. But the second explanation is according to Rashi that the eighth day was the only time the Mishkan was actually put up. And in between in the interim was only Chinuch. After the death of Aaron's children The Torah tells us, "Vayisar nes yodav vayevarachim." Aaron raised up his hands and blessed them. Vayevarachim. Rashi explains, "Bichas kahanim," the priestly blessings. And he says, Now the fact of the matter is, We don't, Teira is not a storybook. And therefore there's no chronological sequence of Teira 
from the Pesukim. So technically, it doesn't matter where the point, where the point is brought down. If the point is brought down, it's with the tailor put it. But this makes no sense. Rashi, how could you say that Aaron here in Basha Shmini said the priestly blessings? The Kahanim, the, the priests were not commanded to make these blessings until later in Pasha's Nosoy. <coughs> so how could he therefore say that the Bracha is Birchus Kahanim? And even more so, Rashi says that it's Yivarechacha Yoher and Yisa. The Ben Chomish Lemikra, that child that learns Chomish does not understand whatsoever where Rashi is getting this from. And Rashi can't tell that child, you're learning now the Pasuk and Shmini, but it happens later in the next Chomish in, the, in Bamidbar, in Pasha's Nosai. The Ben Chomish Lemikra don't fall for that. Perhaps we could say that one thing answers the other. One question answers the other question. There's a famous line when the priest asked the rabbi, why do you rabbis answer all your questions with a question? He answered him, why not? So one question can perhaps answer another question. I love the delay on Skype. It's better than the delay over here. Here the people are falling asleep. So when I say a joke, nobody re- re- no, no reactions. On Skype, the reaction comes out about a half a minute later. It's amazing. I said it's an old joke. It always has to bring a smile. A good old joke has to always bring a smile. Okay. Well, you, no, you smile when you heard it coming. What does it mean when it says It doesn't mean that Aaron actually did the mitzvah of the priestly blessings. He from within himself decided he felt an urge to bless the Jewish nation. So he chose to do so. And he took these psukim, these orations, Yevarecha, Yor, and Yiso. And therefore Rashi says this as Pshutta Shemikra. Rashi says this as a simple explanation. He was, it was welled up. He was welled up with the feeling, with emotion to bless the Jews. And he used these psukim. When it comes to halacha, Vayevarachim refers to the mitzvah mentioned later, as we said, in Pashat Nasi. The resting of the Shechina, 
of the omnipresence on the tabernacle was a proof that we were forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. As Rashi says on the Pasuk, Mishkan Ha'edus. Why was it called Mishkan Ha'edus? What was the testimony? Edus the Yisrael Shevitan HaMakadosh Baruch The Almighty testified that He forgave them for the sin of the eagle. This is therefore the essence of the blessing that Aaron blessed the Jewish nation. Yivarech Hashem. The blessing should reach from the Almighty Himself after forgiving for the, God, the sin of the golden calf. The Almighty let know, My face will go before you. I myself forgive you, and I, my essence, is now amongst you. And then Yoir, lighten. Yoir is also I will show you a happy face. How? By resting amongst you in your tabernacle. As we spoke, Pashas Truma, the tabernacle refers to each and every person has his own personal tabernacle. How will this all come about? Through Yisa. Yisa is to kivash kaasay, to conquer your anger. And therefore again, that the Almighty forgave for the sin of the golden calf. If we have time to come back to it, I don't know if we will. There are two other pointers in the Pasha. The passing of the children the snake, the punishment of the snake, and why it was not kosher, etc. I'd like to turn my attention a moment to Mesech de Seita. Mesech de Seita focuses on the wayward woman whose husband warned her not to be found with a certain man, and yet she does not refrain. It says, Our sages have taught us this is approximately uh, 14 lines from the top of the page. For those keeping score at home, yeah. The Rabbanon taught us, Ein mashkin Two women may not be given to drink the waters at once. The story is for those people who are not up to date on Sechta Seita. A woman was not behaving properly and she was actually improperly behaving with another man. Her husband had suspicions and ultimately took two witnesses 
and warned her, I don't want to catch you with this man again. Two witnesses observed, and the woman was went off with this other man and was somewhere private for X amount of time. The husband brings her before the Kayin and she is given to drink a certain drink. There are different things mixed in here. Amongst them is a certain parsha in the Torah gets erased from the parchment and is put into the ink is put into the water. She drinks this if she is guilty, Rahman al-Sam. She bloats and explodes. If she's innocent, she becomes pregnant from her husband and is blessed with a child. The Talmud tells us, therefore, the sages say, if there were two wayward women brought before the king, before the Kahanim, two husbands suspected two wives and they were both found by witnesses and they were brought before testimony and they had to both drink they should not drink together, they should not be brought together at the same time so the heart of one should not become emboldened by her fellow. That is the first Tana, his explanation. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, you may not do it, because <coughs> is not the reason that the two Satans should not drink at once. <coughs> Rather, because the Posuk actually says, Oisa Levada. You should give her to drink it, which means only her and nobody else. Now the Gemara asks the first opinion. You didn't say the Pasuk. You didn't quote the scripture. What do you say about the scripture? And the Gemara answers Tanakama Rabbi Shimon he. The Tanakama is Rabbi Shimon. The Dorish time the Kroh. He expounds the rationale of the Pasuk, of the scripture, for its own law. Umatam Kamar, what is the own law? Matam Isolavada. What's the reason the Tater says, her? And requires that she should be given by herself. Yes, you are right, he says to the Yehuda. 
that the scripture tells us the word Isa only her, only one woman at a time. But what is the reason for it, says Reb Shimon? And generally we say when it's Tam Reb Shimon, it means Reb Shimon by Yechai. And as we know that Reb Shimon by Yechai is very relevant to us during the weeks of Svira Sa'imer, as the yomtiv of Reb Shimon by Yechai is Lagba Imer, the 33rd day of the Imer, and Reb Shimon always looked for the schus of another Jew, and therefore did not want to put in a Jew in a predicament, and therefore says, don't put them together to drink together so they should not twist their head. But what actually happens? What is this whole secret here that we're discovering here? Remeyer Premeshlana was a little boy. He learned by a Dov. Dov was his Malamed. One day Remeyer had a very interesting custom. He was a little boy, eight, nine years old, ten years old. He used to go every Thursday morning to the marketplace and collect money. He would collect money from all the merchants and then give it to the poor people so they should have on Thursday afternoon to go shopping for Shabbos. One Thursday, he arrives and Shimon the butcher says to him, Tell me, Meike, this animal you think is kosher? And Meike looked at it and said, No, it's a trefer. He said, What about this one? And a man looks at it and says, that is a beauty. There won't even be a question. So the guy went and he paid the man, excuse me, the man told him, you have to pay me. He charged him a nice amount. And he charged him for the first animal, then he charged him for the second animal's advice. The man actually saw ultimately, he bought the animal that Mayor recommended. After paying the price, and he heard that the other butcher had bought the other animal and may recommended not to buy. <coughs> and his was Takakosha and the other one wasn't. So the next week when Meike came around, he says to Meike, show me around. And Meike again charged him for each animal the good price and therefore Meike within a half hour had all the money he needed, he didn't have to stick around with all the merchants. And he gave, distributed the money nicely, and he distributed nice amounts this time. <coughs> However, after a few weeks of this, problems started to come about. What was the problem? This butcher was getting very rich, and everybody else was going broke. He was buying up all the kosher animals, and the non-kosher animals... The non-kosher animals were being bought by the rest of the butchers. No? <laughs> so everybody was losing money and he was making all the money. After two months they went to the Rav. And they told the Rav what's going on over here. This guy must be bribing the sheikhit or something. How come all his animals are always kosher and ours isn't? 
He must be bribing the sheikhit and telling him, make ours, make his kosher and make everybody else's not. They said, let's figure out what he's doing. And they started to watch in the morning how little Meike shows up and the butcher takes him and says, Kum. And they go, one animal, and he pays him. Another animal, and he pays him. Another animal, and he pays the end of the, when he finishes with the butcher, the other butchers come over to make and say, what are you just doing? He says, listen, he gives me nice money. Every animal is so and so much I charge him. And I tell him which is kosher, which isn't. And they said, what about this animal? He says, no, 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 you got to pay me. So they all pay him. And he tells them, it's not kosher. What about this one? <laughs> you got to pay again. So now he was making double overtime here. When word got to his teacher, to Rebdaiv, what he was doing, he scolded him. He told him, that is not what you have special talents for. These are secrets that you are not to be disclosing. And certain secrets, therefore, have to remain secrets. Interesting to note, we're having a whole issue... There are a whole bunch of people asking. A whole bunch of people are asking us if we knew about our grandchild. So a boy or a girl, we know what's happening. We don't know. You don't know. Aren't you plotting to know? I said, God's help will know when we have to. Obviously, this would have been a very exciting, interesting one. Born on Yud Nissen, the bris would have been in the middle of Pesach, Chalamoid. There would have been a hoo ha. And uh, it would have been a balagan, actually. So each one to its own. And each child, when they give birth, each person, when they give birth, everyone should be blessed with a healthy child in immediate blessing. Not have to wait to, for my blessing to come into fruition in another month or two or three, but actually now when you hear this, the blessing should come upon you and that you should be blessed to the new to the child. A healthy child. And you don't have to know until the end if it's a boy or a girl. And some people say, we don't really care if it's a boy, it's a girl, as long as it's healthy and it results in a bris. The end of Chumash... Yeah, huh? As long as it results in a bris, you're in trouble. The end of Chumash Vayikra, the Pasuk says in Bukhukesai Teleichu, Vesmitzvesai Tishmeru, if you will walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, the Almighty promises I'll give you rain in due season, and the land will yield produce, the trees and fields will yield their fruit. It goes on to list all the multiple blessings that we will have if we do the mitzvahs. Many different commentaries have a problem with this pasuk. Where does all of a sudden an emphasis of physical material blessing connect with the observance of mitzvahs? 
In this week's Pirkei in the first Patek, in the third Mishnah, it says, Do not be as servants who serve the master for the sake of receiving a reward, but rather be as a servant who serves their master, not for the sake of receiving a reward. A total contradiction to the Teda. Or the Teda is a total contradiction to the ethics of our fathers. Rambam says, do the truth because it's true. If the Teda does have its reasons to promise a reward for being righteous, why material reward? Why is the Teda tell us about a physical lifetime on this earth? We are only on this world to accomplish how an Ashama should accomplish and elevate and do what it has to so that the Almighty blesses us so that we have Elam Haba. Elam Haba? Where is that? In Borough Park? <laughs> yeah, Elam Haba. That's a country Yossi quote for those who are keeping score at home. So the blessing should be spiritual blessings. After the neshama goes out of the body, the imprisonment and the confines of a body, then we talk about the rewards. And the Yamada says, Hayyayim la sayisam today, in this world do them, because tomorrow the Yasid lover you will get schar. And there's a Gemara that even has an authority that says there's no reward for mitzvahs in this world. For those who want to know, it'll be coming up, I think, in a two, three days. For those who are learning Daf Yomi, it's Daf er, it's an Erevin Chav Beis Aleph. Wow, time. Of course. <laughs> well, honestly, Mendel, because I get an email every day from Daf. Okay. <laughs> That's when I saw it said Erevin. I knew it was Dafyemi, it wasn't Gimara. There you go. There are many commentaries and scholars that discuss this contradiction. And they look to reconcile what is the Taylor promising. The Rebbe has a very interesting angle to this. The Rebbe takes the legal angle. Using Taylor law as a criterion, what would God's obligations towards us be when we fulfill the tasks He demands of us? Is there a, something that God now owes us if we do His mitzvahs? Is there any legal basis we come petition to God in our tefillah and we ask for something material and health. Ultimately, we're going to boil it down quickly because time is running short. 
God is not like the way of the flesh and blood. There are three ways of serving the Almighty. A person can serve as a slave. A person can serve as an employee. A person can serve as a partner to the Almighty. And therefore each one has its own mission, how it completes. Those who see themselves as a slave to an autocratic master he says, I didn't ask to be born. Nobody consulted me when you made these laws. All this was imposed on me. As the Mishnah says, Against your will you were born, against your will you will die. My master is all powerful, and I know he's got the keys, he's in control. I got to do what he tells me. Then you have those with a little less apathetic attitude. And they say they're an employee. I have a job. I do my job. I'll give it whatever I can. God said he'll reward me. Yeah. Chachamim said that. There's no word, no reward for the mitzvahs in this world. But eventually I'll get paid. I'll do my job. Reb Tarfin says in the closing words of Pirkeiovis, Hayim Kotsov Amlachem The day is short, the work is much, the workers are lazy, the reward is great, and the master is pressing. It is not it is is it not it is not incumbent upon you to finish the task, but neither are you free to absolve yourself from it. If you've learned much Tata, you'll be greatly rewarded, and your employee is trustworthy to pay you the reward of your labors. Know that the reward of the righteous is in the world to come. Tarfan says it clearly. And then ultimately there's the partnership. Bottom line is, they say in America you got to get a better lawyer. And this is what the cursory looks at the law yields. But the more thorough examination reveals a series of laws that God commanded in His Teda, which should obligate to provide us with our daily needs in all three cases, <coughs> no matter how we define our duties. And therefore, let it be whatever position we hold and however position we hold it and however we're serving and whyever we're serving God may it be that the Almighty pays us back compensates us bigadol as we say it tenfold and it should be the Almighty should complete and fulfill all our requests and bless us for good and we should have a beautiful Shabbos and the Shabbos should be in Yerushalayim, Yerakadosh, Shabbat Shalom to